Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Drive, and my co-host, the tactic of holding really tight to my prospects of winning a decision, Nick Braccia. Nick, we're coming off a couple of weeks ago of an event in which Holly Holm and Caitlin Vera went to a pretty competitive, pretty close decision. Uh, Caitlin Vera ended up walking away with the win, and there was you know, a lot of hoopla, a lot of talk about this, because clearly Andre Pedaneris, who was Vera's coach, was on Holly Holm's side. And clearly Daniel Cormier thinks that holding on really tight is more important than doing damage. Um, you seem to think that Holly Holm got jobbed in that one. I would like for us to have this conversation despite the fact that this event was from a couple of weeks ago. But right after we get into that, we're going to get into UFC Fight Night, Volkov versus Rosenstrike. We're going to break down the entire card for you all through our MMA Geeks draft. Nick, good to be on with you, brother. Yeah, I suppose it's nice to be talking to you again, too. Are you? Are, you seem very reserved, as if uh, uh, as if you were goaded into being here recording this podcast with me. Oh, that's not the, that's not the case at all. This guy standing behind me with a taser <laughs> <laughs> has nothing to do with that. It's just unrelated. <laughs> yeah, it's completely unrelated. Um, no, I just haven't had any caffeine yet. I'm okay though. I don't have any caffeine really in the house, which is frustrating. And I'm I'm just looking at pictures of of. Uh, fat patty pimples because <laughs> they make me laugh you know as, as as much as you accused me of being a fan of the twink when it came to uh the card a couple of weeks ago with chase hooper it sounds like you're a huge fan of like really obese very blonde men that is not what is your evidence for this besides well your 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 obsession with patty pimblet and just how much weight he's able to gain between uh, well, it is fascinating because, right well, like yeah mostly i'm just i i know he's he's um, you know, he's still fairly young, I think, but I'm just like starting camp and having to lose 50 pounds is, I just, I want, I just wonder how, how much, how effective a training camp can be if you've, if you've got eight weeks and your, I mean, his conditioning wouldn't completely go away, but well, it depends if he's gonna, regularly but, training while he's eating is a question right it, like it doesn't look like I he's mean, training just based on some it, of I, yeah i don't think i don't think so i mean when you when i was a swimmer i could eat you know i was eating 5000 calories a day in training and i didn't i was fine i don't i think he's just eating not training would <laughs> be my guess i think you or might certain, be right which, certain, which should be certainly he's not fighting doing, jordan levitt yeah so not exactly not a bad cardio. style matchup for him no does no, not, not, does not i'm more late. i'm more wondering about the impact to his long term health Oh, look at you! You're really concerned about this guy. You love Patty. Well, no, I'm, no. What I what I want is your insights as an, as an athlete and someone who's had to cut weight before. Um, I, it's a terrible idea. Rampage Jackson was known for it in particular, where he would just balloon up to like two forty, two fifty at times in between training camps, and he fought at two hundred five. So it's a significant drop off. And then he spent like a good portion but, of his training camp cheating on his diet. It sounds like, which he had to be strict on in order to actually make weight. Um, when he was younger, he was able to do it, but later on, it became more difficult. He was athletically so gifted, though. Patty Bimblet is not athletically super gifted, although you know he has yes, definitely a lot of MMA experience. Um, he is getting the UFC to give him matchups that are favorable, though, and that will let you get away with ballooning up between matchups potentially. I would say. Yeah, we'll see. I'm curious what it what impact it has on his organs. Also, while the amount of weight seems to be about the same, when you're 
the percentage of body weight is right. you know is considerably higher. You're talking about Patty needing to lose like thirty percent of his body weight. Um, so I'll look at you drinking yeah, water. That is, that, is, dr- that is pretty well. I'm, I'm I'm a seltzer drinker, Nick. I like I enjoy seltzer. It's almost like a, a soda for me, right? But without the sugar, it's my mm. treat. Um, as opposed seltzer, to seltzer, they should get you in the commercials. I'm Stan Dryev. Seltzer is my treat. What? Come on. What is this Boy Scout shit? Seltzer is your treat. Seltzer is my treat, Nick. I also like fruit. I'm, I'm relatively healthy, and uh, I'm kind of into that, Nick. Unlike Patty Pimblet, I, I I stay and me semi lean, semi lean. There's only one layer of body fat between my eight pack and my stomach, as opposed to you know twelve or fifteen, as is the case with Patty. Um, you, you're you're doing pretty well there, Nick. Like considering you don't regularly work out, you got some good genetics on you, but Nick. Let's get into this decision that you, as usual, I mean, I, I don't know that you've ever seen a decision that went against you that, that you agreed with. Um, Holly Holm, Caitlin Vera, the first round, clearly Holly Holm. She basically held on really tight in control. We've seen her do this in her last few matchups. She did it a couple of fights ago against Raquel Pennington, where she clearly took way more damage, but held on to her really tight and won a decision. She did it to Megan Anderson, uh, although there were takedowns involved in there as well, right? She's willing to hold you up against the fence at age 40 where her defense is not what it used to be she's not as athletic she's not as quick she's not as effective and Caitlin Barrera who on paper was the plotting fighter didn't have the stand-up advantage completely outboxed her landed heavy damage throughout this fight and you know it really goes to what you value more is it holding on and like I know it sounds silly and it sounds like I'm trying to be an a-hole on this but you're holding on really tight that's all you're doing you're stopping the fight from happening and you're holding on tight for two minutes but then you got hit and during the other two minutes, a lot, right? So, like, what should count more? To me, it's very clear. Concussive damage should count more. Holly Holmes' pitter-patter, where she barely even tried to land with any power in the clinch, doesn't account for much. And the few strikes that Vieira threw in that clinch did account for a lot. They did damage. Holly Holm didn't look like Holly Holm at the end of that fight. And I know that it's a lame argument in itself, but that combined with the fact that Vieira was outlanding her uh, with heavy strikes in three of those five rounds... Um, I thought that Caitlin Vera rightly deserved the decision. I think doing damage is the number one criteria. In fact, I don't think so. That's in the rule book. You only go to well, control how do you, how if do you damage quanti- is equal. All right. So well, let's let's break that down then. How mm-hmm. do you quantify damage? Because, I mean, let's for example, GSP used to land a lot. And GSP seemed to be landing fairly hard. But yeah. when GSP would get jabbed or touched, his face blows up. Like, sure. it's... I, so when we talk, I always read damage as was, you know, I guess if you open up a giant cut, that's obviously a big deal. Well, that's um, not, that, that's, let me, that's let me, not. Let me finish uh-huh. my, st- let me, please. It's a big deal, please. but I, I look at it more like what did you, and it's funny because Ro- Roxy actually wrote about this in her uh, recent uh, article on, on Bloody Elbow. Someone asked her about how you keep a poker face. I feel like the best you know the best sign of damage is when you sh- is when you shatter your opponent's composure and we see we see strikes like that we see people you know we we definitely see moments when uh when you know when fighters are, are clearly uh are clearly rattled or clearly effective i don't know if you can just uh take mark getting marked up as um as an indicator because no, it's, it's not, not just getting marked up it's it's very simple nick one landed heavy impactful shots on the feet and the other one held on really tight 
Like there's no Holly Holmes still it's very clear. Holly Holmes still landed a lot of shots. Like I let me uh I mean gonna... not 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 effectively, Nick. Like these were not hard shots. They were very much pitter patter shots. She was taking heavy shots to the head, Nick, a lot. Like a lot. Every time she stayed she stepped into range, she took multiple shots. And even if even if she takes twelve of those shots, but then spends four minutes holding Vera against the fence, doing almost nothing, those twelve shots should count for more than holding. Right, control if, if, is supposed to only Holm, come into. If Holly uh-huh. Home lands, if Holly Home lands like nothing, but if Holly Home lands, you know, nine or or twelve shots that just aren't as hard, then it gets more difficult. Well, it shouldn't because you just said it. They're not that hard. They're not as hard. But then you're, but like we know so who did more damage based so on what you just you said, right? So you're saying you do, mm-hmm. unless damage. So the way that you do it is you're not you do it on a, a tiered level. You go straight Absolutely. damage, and if damage is if damage is even, and by the then, way, that's that's you, the rule book. That's then not you look, me. Okay, then you look at control. You're not look. You're not assessing all those things simultaneously. Absolutely, and and you're not supposed to, and that makes sense to me, right? Like holding again, like, and I know I keep saying this, and I mean it. Holding somebody really tight cannot possibly count the same as hitting somebody in the head. It can't, right? Like, like you're clearly trying to avoid the fight when you're getting hit and then you hold on and you're intentionally holding on to prevent the fight. You're not going for takedowns. You're not being effective in your takedown attempts. Same thing with Eric Anders, right? He went for, what, 23 takedowns in that fight? Did he actually? No. This was his just, just his attempt to stop his head from getting hit. And so he would just grab the clinch and hold on to the clinch against the fence. And that's supposed to win you on control. Randy Couture perfected this years ago. That's back when control was valued over almost anything, right? Now that's not the case, and it shouldn't be the case, Nick. You just said it. One fighter landed hard shots. The other fighter landed, other fighter landed less hard shots. That already gives you the winner to the round, right? The control only becomes a factor if everything else is even. So let's say Holly Holm and Caitlin Barrow both landed, give or take 10 or 12 strikes, give or take same, same level of power. That's when you have to look at that control. That's when Holly Holm maybe would get the edge. But also, again, like, why is it considered control when you're the one not with your back to the fence versus the one with their back to the fence? Like, like Daniel Cormier says, she doesn't want to be there, therefore she's losing. But not wanting to be there, that, that says nothing about damage. What is it, damage the ego? Like, she landed hard shots. In round two, she clearly won. She dominated round two. Um, she almost choked her out at one point in round two, right? Holly Holm toughed through it. But she did a lot of damage in round two. There's no question there. Round three, I thought, um, I thought was fairly clearly... Uh, like, it, it was more muddled, but more clearly Vieira. It was basically holding on against doing damage. Round four was closer. But again, Vieira did more damage. Round four, Holly Holm ended up uh, hitting a sidekick that dropped Vieira to the floor. But it wasn't like a, I'm hurt badly, I'm dropped. It was a, I, you pushed me to the ground, I'm dropped, right? And then Vieira continued to do actual damage to Holly Holm's face repeatedly. And so, again, what element of that... What so, you're element, not ju- you're, so you're not judging mm-hmm. that, you're making the decision to not judge that as a knockdown. Oh, well, well it shouldn't be judged as a knockdown. Right, like if you if you hit a body shot and a person crumbles out of pain, that's a knockdown. You hit a head shot and a person crumbles because their legs give out from under them, that's a knockdown. If you push somebody hard, and granted, that was an effective strike, it was a hard strike. I give Holly credit for that. That that sidekick was solid, but is it a knockdown? Absolutely not. Like she she basically pushed her and made her lose her balance with a strike. So like that shouldn't be counted as a liver shot that drops your opponent. Right. That, that that's yeah. not a. Right, the girl, uh, Vera pops back up 
Um, I, I just, I just, and Vera, by the way, did hurt her with an elbow at one point that the announcers didn't really cover. So I think this combination of the announcers getting into this, like Daniel Cormier seems to have this thing where whoever has more control, because he is a wrestler, because he's a grappler, he values that more than anything, right? Just like he was making a big deal about Kobe Covington's takedown not being countered against Kamara Usman, because in the wrestling world it would have been, but in the MMA world, just hitting the floor for a millisecond and then your opponent popping back up is not a takedown. Right, like Daniel Cormier has that bias, but that doesn't mean that uh, Holly Holm earned that decision, in my opinion. I know that the majority of the MMA decision crew picked Holly Holm, but if you hear a lot of the experts in the post, including Daniel Cormier, who was like, you know what, I had a conversation with whichever expert, and I'm not nearly as sure that Holly Holm deserved that decision. Like, that's a fair take. It's a close one. If you tell me that you think Holly Holm won, I'm okay with that. If you tell me that you think it's a robbery, that's ridiculous. There's nothing robbery about it. She took way more damage. It looked like the shots impacted her more. She looked marked up at the end of that fight. And um, to be fair, I, I thought that the Anders fight was closer with Park. That you can make the argument for Anders, in my opinion, more. But still, Park was doing the damage. And Anders, who did some damage as well, was trying to hold on. Was just trying to gauge in the clinch. Just trying to stop the fight from actually happening. That shouldn't score you points. Right, just like covering up and preventing your opponent from landing anything effective shouldn't score you points. Like, like if, if you're putting yourself in a position where you're not getting hurt alone, that's not being offensive. Um, getting hit is significant. Uh, and, so, and so again, I'm, I'm glad it worked out that way. Uh, I did think that Michelle Pereira rightly won his decision over Ponzinibbio. As much as that was a close competitive fight, as much as a five-rounder would have favored Ponzinibbio in a huge, huge way, in my opinion, I thought that Pereira did certainly enough in that first round, which he dominated, and the second round, which he did well the majority of before that third round went totally Ponzinibbio's way. Although Michelle Pereira showed the ability to kind of fight through tired, which I think is great. I thought Michelle Pereira also earned his decision. What did you think of that one? I thought it was a really good fight. I was rooting for Ponzinibbio. I mean, I, you know, I tend to agree. It's just one of those fights where there's a momentum, you know, as we kind of, I think, suggested before it was on that there was going to be a momentum shift. And that momentum shift's going to happen in, somewhere in the second. And it always that means that the second rounds are hard to judge. Um, I feel bad I for Ponzinibbio because I really like him. Uh, you know, I, like, I, like both, I like both of these guys a lot. Um, but, yeah, I felt like that one was like... Unfortunately, is not the same guy, right? Like, he doesn't get going early enough. And he was at a huge speed disparity here. He was a smaller man. He was less aggressive. And he just well, I knew, didn't I knew he would be the, really I, yeah. I knew he'd be the smaller guy. Um, I mean, everyone's going to be the yeah. smaller guy with Pereira, right? A great man. And that's the tough thing is not only to be the smaller guy, but to have a speed discrepancy. That's hard. That, to that was a, yeah, that, yeah that that was a surprise. Um, he he really needed to uh, he really needed to win this fight with volume. But as you said, it took him a little while to get going. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is that we saw in Michelle Pereira's last fight that it's doable. You can get to him earlier. Andre Fialo had a good, I think it was second oh, round but, against Pereira. Yeah, and Fialo is a, fat, is a pretty fast starter. True. Well, that's the thing is you're right. Fialo is also a first half of the fight guy, much like Pereira, uh, where Santiago Bozanibio gets stronger over the course of the fight. His pressure starts to take more effect. He's going to throw at the same volume, the same speed, the same pace in the second half of the fight as he did in the first, whereas Pereira, again, like... You got to wonder what Perez is going to be like in a five rounder. 
realistically, like, how's he going to do against the elite at 170 over a five-round period? He's going to look good early, but where's that going to go? Um, and, and I think that's one of the intriguing things about him kind of moving on to bigger and better after this one. This was his yeah, biggest Yeah, but it's also, uh, it's like we've talked about weight classes. Like, I, I don't think his, his, his wrestling defense is not, would not serve him well at 185, I don't think. I think the guy. I think the guys you, there. You think Pereira might move up eventually? You think he might have to? I'm just saying, twenty well, years old as possible. He's huge. I mean, he's yeah, huge. He he's is. huge, and he gets tired after a round and a half. So, I mean, he's doing a little bit. He's doing a little bit better with that, but against elite guys who can go 185 and like, like a, you know, a four a four years ago rock or five years ago rock holder Weidman at 185 would destroy Pereira. Uh, I don't know. Four years ago, Rockhold or, or Weidman. Or maybe, but you know, sport... I mean, okay, six years ago. You know what I mean? When those guys. Well, no. Those... What, what I mean is that the sport has come has come like such a long way. Okay. Well, that okay. I, could those guys really be competitive uh, against I... like a guy like Pereira? I wonder. Okay, then I'm. I'm but what I do I see mean... what you're saying. Like an elite grappler, what, what, right? What, would, what I mean, what I mean is an elite, a, an elite grappler with strong wrestling offense and a top game, who yeah, is yeah, who yeah. is the same who is the same size or bigger. Is going to pose a problem for him. So I let me see. Know. I'm looking at the middleweight top ten, right? Um, I, I don't, I don't hate his chances against Kelvin Gastelum. This version of Kelvin, Uriah Hall, I think Pereira will deal with. Darren Till, I think Pereira would deal with. Jack Hermanson, he might be able to. That one's tricky if Hermanson right. can get top position, right? Yeah. But Hermanson struggles against much more athletic guys. Paul Acosta's, who's absolutely gone insane since his loss to Israel Adesanya. That, I mean, I would love to see that fight. That would be fascinating. It's, I think when you get into that Sean Strickland, uh, Marvin Vittori stage where it gets tricky, right? Derek Brunson might look good early, but they both tend to get tired. Um, so, look, it's a good point you're making about Pereira. Maybe his cardio would be better if he didn't have to cut down to 170. Maybe that's in his future. He's only 28 years old. I know he looks like he's 33 at least, right, between the hairline and, and, and all yeah, that. Yeah, I, I actually can't believe he's 28. That's- it is wild. It really is wild, man. Um, did you hear about this thing with him calling out Masvidal for, quote-unquote, getting into his wife DM? But it turns out his wife made a comment to Masvidal, and Masvidal just kind of responded with the, with the thank you hands uh, for the support kind of thing. I, that was so weird. I was – I know nothing about this. So he called out Masvidal and said, like, he, you know, he sent my wife uh, on Instagram the kind of prayer hands, the thank you hands – and Masvidal posted a screenshot of their exchange, and Masvidal posted a story, and Michelle Pereira's wife commented, like, you can do this, you go, and, and Masvidal just responded with a thank you. Like, that's all it was, super innocent, but Pereira somehow tried to use that to get a fight with Masvidal. The weirdest thing. Um, and then Masvidal ended up commenting uh, about, like, the, the, the stage that society is in for this man to be trying to get a fight with me uh, in this way. Like this guy's commenting I mean, on society based on what Michelle Pereira did. This yeah, guy Ma- who like jumped somebody after Masvidal's at- a moron. Yeah, yeah, he really is, man. I've I've like lost all respect for that guy ever since he got famous. He just changed. He just he's kind of a tool now, and it's such a shame. Um, in any case, Nick, outside of that, I, I think from that fight night card quickly, uh, we got to give a shout out to Chidi and Jikawani, who's coming in there just wrecking fools. Knocked out Dusko Todorovic. That was a good pick for you. And one that I thought Dusko Todorovic was worth the underdog play on. I was wrong. Chidi is no fucking joke against this level of competition. He can stay um, on his feet. He's going to be trouble. Yeah, you're, you're not kidding, man. And Jelton Almeida, you know, as I kind of thought he would, as we both thought he would, he he took care of business against Parker Porter, who we both liked. But, man, that was 
Jilton Almeida is a scary, scary individual. At yeah, that was that was a, there are levels to this game fight, and like uh, you're he's not good. Kidding, man. Well, not just, he's not he's not apparently he's not just scary at two hundred five. He's if he can take out Parker Porter, he's arguably a top ten heavyweight or top twelve yeah. heavyweight. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, think, I mean that division. That division is extremely top, very top heavy division, but it really is. There's like there's three tiers of heavyweights. There's like the lower tier that really sucks, but can still get wins in the UFC against fellow lower tier guys. There's that kind of middle tier, like where Overeem occupied. Maybe um, who, Parker, who Parker in? Porter's in the. Well, I would say Parker Porter's in the back half of the second tier. I mean, if barely, yeah, barely. I mean, he again, he could beat low level guys. He's well, not I think he's beat. Like, he's beat. He's beaten, he, yeah, but I know, but he's, beat, he's been beating the th- the third tier guys. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Like maybe the very bottom rung of that third tier. But again, like the the guy's gritty. The guy's got a lot of intangibles, but he's not fast. He's not doesn't necessarily hit hard. That's hard for a heavyweight, right? Like how are you gonna? Yeah. And he's not very tall. He's about as wide as he is tall. Um, hard to pull off, you know, heavyweight success at a, at any higher of a level. But he's still gonna get some wins in the UFC, in my opinion. I, I still think he's a decent uh, fighter, Nick. Should we get into this uh, fight night card? Volkov versus Rosenstrike. Not a great one, man. There's a, uh, a handful of debuting fighters, a handful of fighters coming off of losses. Um, not really, again, not the cream of the crop when it comes to the UFC. And, and again, the UFC brings in, after a Holly Holm main event and a couple of heavyweight main events that could have been in some, at some points were boring, we got, a, we got another matchup here where Volkov and Rosenstrike might just give us a snoozer. So, like... It's almost like they're planning this out, making the pay-per-views exciting as hell, but somehow giving us the most boring main events possible on paper leading up to it. No game yeah. on the matter? Not at all? No. Um, <laughs> limit, limited opinion. If I'm being honest, because of my typing, I had muted and someone had asked me a work question, so I was I was, uh, I was, oh, I was, I I was fielding that. But if you want to... If you want to restate your point, but you can also you also can all congratulate me for muting, so you didn't have to hear the typing. Congratulations on mute, motherfucker! Yeah, thank so, you. So, Nick, we got this fight night card. We're gonna get into our MMA geeks draft. We take turns picking fighters competing on the card. Uh, we're gonna we see it tally it all up at the end of uh, Saturday night. As of now, I am nine points ahead of Nick. Sixty three of my points to fifty four of yours. I picked up another single point of that on that Holly home card over you, bud. But again, a couple of those close decisions. Six. Uh, I've lost six points. I've lost six points in the last month on split decisions alone. That, that, that ain't that the truth, Nick? Maybe you should pick fighters that do damage rather than ones that hold on really tight. Just a suggestion. <laughs> no, but to be fair, that's not even. I gotta show you some consistent, right? Some judges. Next time oh, I wait, see you, you I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. No, next time I see you, I gotta knock your nose straight. <laughs> oh, listen, Nick. If you could do that for me, a lot of doctors have tried, <laughs> and they have. This nose has been broken a couple think, times, my I think friend. I think I think you had it. <laughs> I think. Like like Bobby on The Sopranos, who had a, a, a gangster rapper had him shoot. Bobby had to shoot him in the butt so that the guy could say he'd been shot. I think for you, credentials. I, for credentials. <laughs> I think you paid a dude to break your nose. <laughs> Just so you, you know what, Nick? The, the, there's a reason it says broken nose. That's one line on my resume, my friend. It is all just for the – what is it for the branding, Nick? It's all part of the image. It's like 50 Cent yeah. getting shot before his rap career. If he didn't yeah. get shot, would he have gotten famous? Who knows? But he did, Nick, and it helped. And here I am with my broken nose. And you know what, Nick's still not famous, despite our dozens and dozens of MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast listeners. So, Nick, I believe you have the first pick this pick, uh, this week. And I, and I feel like I feel like you need any, any advantage you can get, my friend. What is your first pick? My first pick – hang on. I don't have uh... – 
I don't have topology up for all of my crack um, analysis, but hey, listen, there is a uh, there's a young man that showed up in the UFC uh, not so long ago. I think it's a replacement fighter, um, at and with the exception of uh, a fight against the really tough Ilya uh, Ilya Tapuria, Damon Jackson has looked pretty darn good, um, and he snatches uh snatches subs and he's going up against this uh you know a jackson a jackson wing fighter i think making his ufc debut didn't even yes. come in off the contender series uh a guy named what a uh, loser. dan Arguera. and i'm i mean i got i'm surprised that a uh they're, that they're throwing a jackson wing fighter in against damon jackson um in it for in his first fight because that's kind of a tough draw that? Well, well Jackson, it's not like Jackson Wink's fighters are supposed to be like anything at all whatsoever special. It's not I like guess, people come I guess out of there not, better. Yeah, I guess not anymore. But um, I guess I guess Cub Swanson co- coaching this guy too. I didn't know Cub Swanson was coaching at Jackson Wink, but um, I wonder if that's Jackson Wink Tacoma in that case, Nick. In which case, it might be a more legitimate camp. It says Albuquerque, but Topology has his head coach listed as Jackson uh, as Jackson Winklejohn and Swanson. For, 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 for the record, I haven't seen Greg Jackson in the same corner as Winklejohn in a long time. I get the impression that Winklejohn yeah, well, yeah, bought Jackson out right, or something. Right, I agree. Not since Jackson, uh, yeah, not since Jackson gave GSP his last juice box. Um, anyway, <laughs> my point is that Javon Jackson's really crafty. Really crafty submission hunter. And it's your first fight in the UFC. Okay. And, I mean, the guy's he's 5'7 at, at, uh, at, at bantamweight. Which you know, it was, Jackson's probably about the same. Um, I, I just think that Damon Jackson's chances of snagging a submission against this against a really green guy um, in his debut is really high. And this guy's style also is labeled as Mexican judo. Like if if someone's going to give the people I worry about against Damon Jackson are like super super heavy hitters or extremely powerful. Uh, off like offensive wrestlers and and even them I would be like Jackson can still grab subs so I think David Jackson's able to sub this guy in the second round yeah I tend to think you're right um another factor here is that this guy fights at 135 regularly took this fight on short notice after a five-round war just a couple just like a month and a half ago actually almost exactly a month ago right so you know, not prepared going into this matchup, took it on short notice. So I like Damon Jackson, especially against the guy who's known for getting takedowns and kind of mauling people on the ground. I don't like his chances of doing that to yeah. Jackson past the first round. But the fact that he just competed five rounds, probably a good sign for his cardio. He competed on the Ultimate Fighter. I think it was Brian Ortega's first pick, right? Which, you know, goes to show the guy has some talent. And it's not like Damon Jackson's a world beater. He's just a beater of this level of competition. So I tend to agree with you on the pick. I don't know if it would have been nearly this high for me, though. Um, my first pick is going to be. I do. I do think he's the biggest favorite on the card. Oh, really? That's that's pretty wild that the odds are this this far apart. But again, the size discrepancy, the short notice nature of it, UFC debut. Yeah, right Damon Jackson is a, is a, is a, a minus a minus five hundred to minus six twenty five. Uh, uh, I would not. Favorite. I would not lay down that kind of money on Damon Jackson if my life depended on it. It's crazy talk. Against almost anybody. Not that like Damon Jackson's okay, but these odds are just astronomical, Nick. 
Um, my first pick is going to be in the matchup between Dan Ige and Mofsar Eflov. I'm very, very much looking forward to this one. Dan Ige being the gritty veteran who has been in there against some of the very best, and he's lost to some of the best, right? The guys that he's losing to, there's not a whole lot of shame in it, right? The question is, is Evloev on that level? Is Has he reached that point where he can uh, dispose of somebody who's been disposed of by Josh Emmett, by Korean Zombie, by Camelcator? Arguably, Arboza should have gotten the decision over him as well, right? Evloev, who's largely inexperienced, coming off of maybe his toughest fight in the UFC so far, in which he lost the third round to Hakim Duadu after doing very well in the first couple of rounds. So it makes you wonder how Evlov is going to fare in five-rounders, even though he used to compete in five-rounders. He also, he also lost him. rounds, sorry to interrupt you, he also lost rounds to Nick Lentz. I mean, that was a split decision. Yeah, that, that was a split decision. I don't know if it, it was, like, I remember the fight. I don't remember it being that arguable. If you can quickly look up MMA decisions, I'm, I'm curious whether it was really that split. But uh, I tend to think he, like, earned that decision over Nick Lentz from my memory. But Nick Lentz a crafty mofo. Oh, I'm not, I'm not suggesting it was robbery. I'm just saying that I get it, it, was, I get it. it was yeah. Adver- it, it was competitive and he lost rounds. Yeah, I, I hear that. And so him having faced adversity, slowly inching his way up the division, right? Nick Lentz, or I should say, actually, Bar- 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 Barzola, who's a really crafty, hard guy to beat, followed by Mike Grunde, uh, who is an athletic, strong wrestler, followed by Nick, with a hard right hand, Nick Lentz, who's really super crafty, also a good wrestler, by, uh, followed by Hakim Duwadu, who's an upcoming prospect. He is slowly increasing his level of competition. And let's not forget that he faced Sung Woo Choi prior to that, who's a fairly successful UFC fighter himself, right? He's, uh, he, he went on a bit of a, 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 bit of a streak there after, after uh, a couple of losses to to Evlov and, and, and someone else. So, look, I'm going to take Evlov in this one because I think he can bank those first two rounds by outgrappling Dan Ige, who's mainly a grappler, right? Ige's crafty on the feet, um, and maybe he can mix some things up. He's going to put the pressure on. So is it possible that he makes Evlov uncomfortable starting in the middle of that third round and kind of takes over a decision? Yeah, it's possible. I don't like his chances. I think Evlov is going to be the physically stronger man. He's going to be able to get that top position when he wants to, and I think he's going to stay safe from there. I also think Evlov is going to do okay on the feet. If you look at their physical matchup, I'm, I'm actually, you know what? I'm not, I'm not absolutely clear how they match up physically. Let me quickly look at this. 5'7 uh, to 5'7, 72.5 inch reach, uh, so uh, inch and a half inch reach advantage for Evlov. Uh, I'm going to take Evlov here. I think he's going to win a decision. I think the odds are absolutely insane considering how crafty and experienced um, uh, Dan Ige is. I think there's a little bit of value on Ige even at these odds, but I will say Evlov by decision. Let me quickly look at the odds here. Minus 150 at uh, at FanDuel. That's not a bad bet. That it, Evlov has not finished a single fight in the UFC. He's undefeated in the UFC, right? So his odds of winning are decent. His odds of finishing are not. Get him at minus 150. Minus 152 on sports, some sports books by decision. Those are going to be as good odds as you're going to get on this matchup. Yeah, I... I tend to agree, although Ige hits hard, so you never know. I feel like we've seen Evelyn not sometimes roll with hard shots very well. Um, That's true, actually. He has shown like these instances of, of big power early. So, but I, but I, I definitely think the smart money is on is on Evelyn. Um And similarly, for my next pick, like it's just, I mean, you've got a really strong offensive wrestler. Um, and I learned my lesson when I picked against her. Uh, with Miranda Maverick, but I'm going to take uh, Aaron Blanchfield over J.J. Aldrich. I love J.J. Aldrich, but she is a boxer. Like, she's pretty good at staying on her feet, um, but over three rounds, like, she, I don't think she's going to, I think it's very unlikely that she knocks out 
Blanchfield, and I think Miranda Maverick is is uh, is much more much more athletic than JJ Aldridge. Um, so I I just think that uh, I think Blanchfield's going to be able to over the course of three rounds have have top position um, and maybe be doing some ground and pound and kind of drag Aldridge around and sap her power um, away too. So I see this as being a very frustrating fight uh, for. Uh, the the boxing specialist JJ Aldridge. I will say I actually think there's some value in Aldridge. I agree with you on the pick. I, I officially think that Aaron Blanchfield will probably pick up a decision over JJ Aldridge and kind of um, like she really does like her high pressure output, her wrestling, right, her her ability to keep top position while staying safe and doing enough damage to score on the cards. It's a great combination. But Aldridge is a really good southpaw. Trains with Nama Yunus and the crew at least as far as the last time I checked. Um, at elevation, uh, you know, with Grudge and and, and uh, that whole crew uh, in in Colorado, and she's got decent hands. She's got good takedown defense. She fought grapplers in the last couple of fights. Vanessa Dumopoulos, who's a you know decent jiu-jitsu girl, granted not ready for the USC level when she fought her, and Jillian Robertson, who's a really good wrestler. JJ uh, Aldridge picked up a decision over her, so it's not that she's not ready for this level. It's not that Aaron Benchfield's so experienced, right? She's just a really talented prospect. I think the odds are too wide, but I agree with you on the pick. I think um, I think this fight going to decision or, or decision prop on either girl is likely the outcome, likely how this fight's going to end. I'm in agreement there with you. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Mike Trezano and Lucas Almeida. Lucas Almeida has some heavy hands, man. He just continually throws big combos, continually moves forward, right? If he's got any room to work, he's going to be working. Mike Trezano, though, he's made some good kind of MMA IQ. He has had some good MMA IQ moments, which, which you know, is there are some guys who have really big holes in that area who Mike Trezano comes in and, and has these moments and does well against some pretty high-level guys like Ludovic Klein. Hakeem Duwadu, from my, from my memory of that matchup, was a really competitive matchup, right? And Lucas Almeida is no Hakeem Duwadu. He's not going to be able to throw at the same level in the second and third rounds as he will in the first round. So I like uh, Mike Trezano to get through the first round, which might be a little bit hairy at, at moments. But overall, he's going to be able to keep top position and, and just grind and just work and, and either get a late stoppage or a decision over Lucas Almeida. Yeah, I had, I had Trezano here also. Um, I'm kind of I'm looking forward to that fight. Um, yeah, that should be fun. All right, now shit gets weird. Um, it's like alphabet soup of fighters. I'm gonna go with I like Alex da Silva, but I think I think that he can be a, a little aggressive, and I wonder if my instinct is that like Joe Selecki's gonna Joe Selecki, and at some point Alex da Silva is gonna is gonna get caught in a submission. Yeah, I, t- I tend to think you're right. I think it's the uh, I think it's the gas tank of Selecki that's probably going to that, win yes. out here. Yes, um, Alex Silva does well early, but slowly his gas tank runs out because he wastes so much energy. Even though he's more dynamic, he's more explosive. He's got a lot of those intangibles in his favor. Um, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I, I think that uh, I think that Joe Selecki is going to be able to hold, keep, and hold that top position enough. Possibly even score a submission. Joe Selecki is a really legit grappler. Uh, got out of there with a pretty quick submission over Donald Cerrone in a grappling matchup recently, but he is coming off of his first loss in the UFC. So, you know, you also kind of wonder, like, how much of an effect is that going to have on him? Obviously, having some success in the grappling circuit is going to take that sting away from a loss. My next matchup is um, I'm going to take from the Andreas Michaelitis versus Renat Fakhradinov matchup. Fakhradinov 20-2, and two, right? 
with a 13-fight win streak that he uh, took into looking for a fight. Um, and he beat Eric Spicely in front of Dana White. Right? It's not a bad situation to be in. Uh, but he has been out for 16 months. So this is like a big layoff that he's coming back from against Andreas Michaelitis, who is, let's face it, not a very good fighter. He had some okayish moments against Alex Pereira where he was able to get top position, but it eventually got uh, knocked out. He beat KB Bular, who's not a UFC-level fighter. So uh, I think Renat uh, Farkar... Wait. is go- There's a lot of consonants in a row multiple times in his name, Nick. Um, I think he's going to pick up the win here. Michaelitis is cutting down to 170 and and like if this cut is suddenly going to make him a different fighter it's one thing i don't expect that at all i think he's training on the european circuit rather than with high level training partners and coaches and i don't think that's going to help him against this uh ruski destroyer so your pick your pick again is is uh, renat you know, this fight is going to be miserable, but I think that, uh, you know, you're dealing with two women who are not particularly active and who are on a combined, I think, nine-fight losing streak or eight-fight losing streak. Yeah, combined eight-fight losing streak. Right. And the last time uh, Kolokavich won was actually a split decision against Harrig. Right. But the Kolokavich we've seen... I mean, we haven't seen anything. We haven't seen anything of Harrig really in a long time. Um, Except when she got going... smoked by. Uh, who she got smoked by? She just got smoked by somebody in her last fight a couple years ago. Hold on. Go ahead. Sorry. Her last fight was. Uh, yeah, yeah Verna Jandaroba. But Verna's like a super is you know a super submission expert. She was able to go the full, you know, go the distance a few years ago against Watterson. She does have a couple of impressive wins. Um, you know, she beat a young, uh, a young Alexa Grasso um, and got, I think, her only UFC bonus uh, from that. But um, oh, that was, yeah, that was yeah, Herrick beat Grasso um, and Courtney Casey. But, like, I picked Kolokavich against Jessica Penne, and I just, I can't. I can't pick the way that Carolina Kolokavich is has looked in the cage for the last five years or whatever, uh, four years, is just deflated, just not – there's something missing. Something happened, and I just don't see – I don't see the fire. I don't, I don't see a will. I don't see a will to win. And if, like, the earlier version – if the version of her pre this losing streak was able to um, – was able to split decision Herrig. I think, I think if Herrig shows up and sticks to her, you know, sticks to her game plan, that she should be able to win this fight. I just, I don't believe Karolina Kovalevich can win in the UFC right now. I think something psychologically has happened. Yeah, it's 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 tricky, man. You can't really rely on either fighter. This is like the last fight on my list because I I have a hard time trusting either girl. Um, but you're right, Carolina's looked particularly atrocious. For a long time now, ever since her win over Herrig, like you said. So I, I guess I guess you're right. I'm going to lean toward Herrig by a hair. But where the heck has Herrig been, right? She hasn't fought since 2020. Was on a three-fight losing streak leading into that. Is you know Has got 383,000 Instagram followers and more of a... Is she like more of an Instagram 
kind of influencer slash model now than she is an MMA fighter. Like you got to wonder that. Um, she does spend a lot of time on Instagram. She, you know, she she that's probably where a lot of her income comes from at this point, which is why she's able to afford not competing. And when somebody is getting her income from elsewhere other than fighting, it makes you concerned because I assume KK, whether she has anything left or not, is still training full-time mixed martial arts is what I'm assuming. But anyway, yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you, but it, it's incredibly hard to be to, to rely on either of these fighters to come through. So I, I have no strong opinion on it. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Johnny Munoz and Tony Gravely. Tony Gravely, man, has a lot of hairy moments. He has to, like, survive certain situations. He's been finished once or twice by heavy hitters. Johnny Munoz is not a heavy hitter. He's mostly a grappler, and I think Tony Gravely's wrestling edge, the fact that he's got a pretty serviceable jab, some decent straight punches, um, I think as long as Tony Gravely stays either engaged in the clinch or gets that top position, he should be able to ride out a decision here. But I could see Johnny Munoz doing enough damage to to either get Gravely out of there in the second half of the fight when Gravely's a little more worn, or I could see Munoz potentially just kind of outworking him in a decision by doing more damage, even though he's being controlled like we've seen kind of work recently. Hard to be confident, but I'm going to take Tony Gravely by decision. You always take Tony Gravely. I know, man. And more often than not, to be fair, it does work out, but it dude, does. it's like you're sweating the whole time he's competing. Uh... I'm going to go to – I can't believe we've waited this this long to pick it. I'm going to go to the main event. Um, this is not going to be a fun main event. Probably I not. I don't think. And it really it really comes down to this. Can the current uh, Alexander Volkov, who is not really any longer in um, – you know, I think, I think you'd be hard-pressed to call him a contender – uh, at this at this point, right? Like he um, he got beat really quickly just a couple months ago by by Aspinall, um, and then he lo- he lost that fight to Gon. Um, it's he's only he's been gatekeeper to the top, basically. Yeah, and he's only been knocked out that like you know one time after after absolutely dominating Derek Lewis for two rounds or two and three quarters rounds. Like, I rewatched that, and man, he was beating the shit out of Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis was, they could have stopped that fight any number of times because Lewis was doubled over in pain. Um, right. And, and they didn't, and then he eventually landed a shot. So, I mean, Rosenstrike, the thing is that Rosenstrike's big knockouts, is he going to be able to do that against a fellow kickboxer who largely has really good defense? Like, Derek Lewis can get in there. It's almost like when you're fighting Derek Lewis, it's harder than fighting a really technical kickboxer because you don't know what the hell is going to happen and like where he's going to come from. It's just it's more like being in a street fight, frankly, um, based on like his his approach to striking. Um, Rosen strikes not like that. This is two very technical kickboxers going at it, and I believe Volkov should have a, con- a considerable height and reach advantage. Um, can you validate that for me? Um, but I'm pretty sure he's going to have a reach advantage. And I think the front kick's going to be his friend. And Rosenstrike does not throw, um, does not throw big, like, big hands until, you know, in, until he, it's like he only, it's like in Star Wars or something, he only fires the shot when he's completely locked on target. And, you know, he's like, he gets, it's like he feels like he only has three missiles he can fire during the fight. Right. That's and they're all really, like, really, yeah. they're all really, really good missiles. But like, if the if the opportunities don't align, he's not going to throw it. 
And I, I don't, I think that for five rounds that if he took this fight and he wants to get back in there after whatever happened with Aspinall, that Volkov has something to prove to himself and that he's going to show up with all of this kickboxing training as, uh, you know, as an elite fighter and, and someone who generally speaking, I think has fairly elite striking defense. Um, it's not, you know, he's not going to get, he's not going to look like some of these other guys who have lost, uh, who have lost to Rosenstrike. So while I like Rosenstrike, I think, I think Volkov is, um, he should be able to, on the strength of his jab, on the strength of front kick, and mostly because of his, his defense and his movement, um, should be able to get a tepid decision victory over Jorzenio Rosenstrike. It's hard to rely on this version of Volkov. Him training in Russia right now, I don't know what's going on there. He didn't look, I mean, he looked really bad against Aspinall, man. And as much as Aspinall is talented, to just get run through like that, to be submitted with a straight arm lock, like like almost like a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu white belt, it's weird, man, for a guy with, what is it, uh, 44 fights of experience to go in and do that. And then prior to that, Marching Tabura, he didn't look very good against either dude. Like, he... He got to like really it's, it's work hard. through some tired moments in a three-round fight, and this is a guy who didn't get tired against um, against Curtis Blades, who was just kind of roughing him up in the in the last half of their fight, right? So, so you wonder where has he been lately? Like he hasn't really gone deep in a fight that he's won, and the one fight that he went to the third round and against Marcin Tabura, he didn't look great in the second half. So I don't know; it's, it's hard to rely on on. Uh, and on he went he went five version, rounds against Cyril Gan. Like that's not nothing. He did, but he got completely pissed up, and it was completely one-way traffic. So yeah. like even even in that fight he looked terrible like he looked so bad so it's hard to tell whether the competitions it, it looks to me like he's behind like much like Holly Holm it's not just that Vera was good it's that Holly Holm is behind she's not who she used to be it's the same case with Volkov maybe those forty five fights are starting to get to him the what's going on in Russia and, and the economy over there and what the ruble is worth and all of that how's that affecting his training his ability to, to like like his his ability to find training partners outside of the Russian space etc. Probably not very good. He never really tried, right? And on paper, at least, um, Rosenstrike has the better training situation training at American Top Team, one of the very best gyms in the entire world. But you're right, right? Hard to rely on Rosenstrike. Um, I can see Rosenstrike just patiently waiting and then landing a shot in the second half of the fight after Volkov is kind of tired. He's generally a plotting fighter, and he's gone in there looking great at some points. But, man, lately he's been looking so bad. I'm, I'm going to agree with you on the pick because I think, like, the, the best version of Rosenstrike should beat the best version. I'm sorry, the best version of Volkov should beat the best version of Rosenstrike. And and Rosenstrike isn't necessarily much worse than he used to be. He just has this thing where he barely throws. And he only throws on the counter. And that's really his only way to win. It's just knock you the heck out as he's on the counter. Once in a while, he plots forwards with offense. So it is possible that he can finish this. But he can't. Yeah, but if, if, Volk, mm-hmm. if Volkov is throwing leg kicks and front kicks to the gut, like he can't counter yeah. those. There's not re- a whole, you're right, there's not a whole lot to counter there. You no, can't no reach. It. It's just, in a five-round situation, I have a hard time trusting Volkov, this version of Volkov. There's the version of fought Curtis Blades I would pick over Rosenstrike without even thinking twice. But man, yeah, this I hear you, on the, As- I really hear you on the Aspinall performance, but it also reminds me of how you felt about um, Jan Blachowicz prior, you know, prior to his most recent fight. And Blachowicz showed us something. Wait, I, I picked Blachowicz and thought that he was but you, but you, the opposite. No, but you were very. But he did get dominated. You were very concerned yeah. about about his yeah. liver and his neck and like how quickly yeah, yeah, yeah. he gave true. that up. I'm just, That's true. I'm just saying. All true. And then he proved. All, all, and even all, though you did, totally even true. though you did pick, even though you did pick him, you you yeah. had some, you were trepidatious about how he was going 
you know, who was going to yeah, show Yeah, who was going to look? What version was yeah. going to show No, you're, you're, you're right, and that's totally fair. But, you know, this, for Volkov, Aspinall was a bad performance. Martin Tabrera was not a good performance. Cyril Gaon was a bad performance. Alistair Overeem, he fucking smoked, to be fair, but that was in 2021. It's his last three fights. It's not just that one fight. It's part of what's concerning. The war in Russia could be a factor. He's not looking in great shape. Like, there are times in which Volkov well, looks let's in be, great shape. Let's be, let's be straight about that. The war, the yeah. war is in Ukraine. <laughs> right. No, and, and that's fair, but it is affecting the Russian it is, economy. It, it, it's it is affecting it is Russian effect. life. Right. Um, and, and, and so, you know, it's, it, it's, who know, for all we know, he has fucking family in Ukraine. A lot of these Ruskies do believe it or not have family in Ukraine. And so it's this crazy dynamic. But yeah. anyway, uh, he, he hasn't looked good lately. It's hard to trust him, but I do hear where you're coming from. He probably wouldn't have been too far off, uh, of one of my next few picks in any case. Cause everything, I mean, honestly, the rest of this card is hard to pick from. Um, I think I'm going to pick Ode Osborne over, over Zaruka. Dashev, Dashev is coming off of, I think, his first UFC win, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I just think Ode Osborne, as much as he gets tired and he might look very human in that third round and maybe Dashev can score some points, then I think he can bank enough in those first two rounds because he's the most more explosive guy. He's got more power. Um, he's going to be busy enough. I think he's going to bank enough of those first two rounds to do well and, and uh, win on the scorecards. You know what? A finish is even possible. We've seen Zeruka Dashev get knocked out in the UFC as well, and Ode Osborne has the power. But I'm going to take Ode Osborne here. Yeah, I um, this is not a fight I really wanted to pick, so I'm glad you did. But I've got uh, I'll take Ode as well. And now we're just staring at alphabet soup of fighters' names for the most part, and I'm just like, blah. Um, blah. I'm gonna go with. Oh gosh, you know I really like BSD. He just took he took so much damage in that last fight. That was a fight that should have been stopped. Um, I gotta wonder if he's ever gonna come back from that beating. So, um, I'm gonna take one last look at best fight odds to determine if I'm gonna make a gamble here on a uh, on an extra right, point. Go for hmm. it, brother. I support uh, it's, these. It's not quite darn it. He's only plus one forty five. So uh so I'm not gonna take him. I'm gonna go with um even though I do not trust this dude, I'm gonna go with Alonzo Menafield, uh the favorite, um, to defeat Oscar Mosharov. Who has who has who has cool who has cool cool tattoos. He does have cool tattoos, he's a scary looking individual, and he fights really scary, Nick. He's just offensive, explosive with everything he throws. Most of his fights end in the first round one way or the other, and he tends to win them. It just seems to me like most of his opponents are rather terrible and can't really fight through taking a big shot and just literally give up and don't want to compete anymore. I assume Menafield is going to be willing to fight through that. Oscar actually trains with MMA Masters, so you know he's at least got a decent level team to work with here. But I like... I'm probably going to edge Benfield because he's got UFC experience. He can potentially get through the first few moments and then use his experience to take over in the second half of the fight against presumably a tire Asgard. I can't imagine Asgard being able to put that kind of energy out there for multiple rounds. Uh, I expect that he's probably going to be pretty exhausted if he doesn't finish early, and, and then Alonzo Benfield should be able to take over. Um, yeah, just one, one, to... just one extra thing on that. I feel like... Menefield loses to guys who have degrees of craftiness, I think. True. He's not particularly True. crafty. And when it's just, but if it's just a, if it's just like a bum rush assault, like 
I think he's. I think he could be a tough out. Yeah, I, I tend to. I tend to think you're right. The, the problem is that Oscar is like so powerful that he could just finish him. Like he he throws spinning hook kicks. He throws major power on his hands. Leg kicks from hell that like drop guys. Like a guy takes one leg kick and falls to his back. Granted, these are like low level competition, but there's a chance he might just spark Manifield out of there. But Manifield has some power too, and and he's got again the experience. So I, I tend to agree with you. I think it's a good pick to make at this point in our conversation. Um, for my next pick, I think I'm going to take Poliana Botelio to beat Karina Silva. Karina is a slight favorite. She's coming off of a win on Contender Series. Honestly, pretty impressive overall fighter. Finishes girls left and right, particularly by submission. And Botelio is not the greatest on the ground. But Karina kind of really puts herself out of position standing. She throws bombs, but she really puts herself out of position. Um, I, I think that her steam is probably going to slowly kind of run out. As Botelho, who has UFC experience... I'm thinking that should take over here. She she might be able to get top position and hold it there and stay safe and not get submitted by Silva. But again, Silva's a finisher. This is a super, super risky pick. In fact, I'm talking myself out of it as we speak. What you got next, buddy? Wait, you got wait, you took I got I got Botelio by the 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 thinnest of hairs. All right. I'm gonna go now we're we're there's two fights left. Um, yes, I don't have a whole heck of a lot to say about it, but I like Jeff Molina. I'm going to go with Jeff Molina over Zalga uh, Zumagolov. So I love Jeff Molina. He is one of my favorite kind of new fighters in the UFC. Just relentless output, never loses heart, might have a rough first round and then takes over after. But the level of opposition that he was able to take over um, against, right? These are not Zalga Zumagolov level opponents. Jean has pretty high output, doesn't have a lot of power, but he's not going to get tired in the second half of the fight and, and just give up the fight to Jeff Molina, who is relentless, to be fair. For that reason, I'm edging Zalgas by, a, again, another hair. There's a reason this is one of our last couple of picks, but I'm really excited for this fight. Very much looking had, forward to it. If you had picked him, that'd be a two-pointer. Are you serious? Yeah. Damn it, Nick. Want to trade? No, but I might yeah, switch. I, I, I didn't realize the odds were that far apart. And, and I get why Jeff Molina. Like, I really like Jeff Molina a lot. I like him more than I like Zalgas. But just I, I just feel like Jeff Molina has done that against opposition that gets tired. And I don't think Zalgas will get tired. The guy has super experience. So this will be a firefight. I'm, I'm super excited for it. Um, my next pick. Let me see if the, what the odds are on this last one. I think that's probably the one you were considering earlier. The Benoit Saint-Denis versus Nicholas Stoltz matchup. Um, Stoltz looked less like concerning, I guess, um, than Benoit Saint Denis, who just like was getting ravaged by Lesley Zuleski dos Santos. Um, I like the heart that Saint Denis showed, but man, he like he probably should have been taken out of there, and he looked good late in that fight. I guess I'm gonna pick Benoit Saint Denis with little confidence. Again, there's a reason why the odds are close. There's a reason why this is one of our this is our very last pick. Um, just because he showed a lot of heart and grit and he was able to fight through it and look good against a pretty high-level uh, opponent. And his regional yeah. fights are awesome, by the way. Like, he's one of the guys yeah, that I like, actually have watched depressing. tape with and it's like, it's really, it's really fun to watch. He, no, he is. And, and, and again, he got, got plenty of craft to him. And losing to Jared Gordon and Ramazan and me of Jared Gordon by first-round knockout. Ugh. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go with St. Denis. I think based on their, based on their short resumes... Uh, both of them look concerning in their own rights, but Benoit Saint didn't get blown out of the water by Jared Gordon. He got beat up by by a high level opponent. Granted, it's concerning because that was um, that was only what like six, seven or eight months ago. Like, there's a lot of recovering to do after that kind of beating, and then you still got to get a training camp in. I'm gonna go with Benoit Saint Denis. 
Saint-Denis. Nick, that'll do it for this card. As far as bets, I think that um, Morsar Evlov, by decision I already mentioned, Mike Trezano, I think, is worth an investment. He's a 2-1 to one favorite, but I, I, I think he's likely to win this matchup. There's, uh, to me, it's unlikely that he's going to get sparked out of there in the first few moments. Aaron Blanchfield, uh, maybe by decision. I wonder what the odds are. Um, but J.J. Aldridge, throw, throw a couple pennies on her by decision. There's a, very, there, there's, a, there's a chance that she could come out with a win in that one. Um, and outside of that, Tony Gravely, I don't know if I trust him enough. Joe Selecki, I think, is worth an investment, in particular in a parlay. Um, Damon Jackson is way too expensive for my money. Uh, Volkov is hard to trust in. I think I'm going to leave it there. This will be stupid, but it's the kind of stupid pick I always make. Yeah. First, Dan Ige first-round KO would be – it's it's uh, possible. He's it's done possible. it once, I think, right? But, man, I don't know. Like, the, the, Get Danny Gay by finish, and you should get pretty good odds. And maybe he can pull that off somehow. But, like, KO-specific is tough to do, especially since he's mostly a grappler. Fighting a grappler, it's, it's like, tricky. But, you know, he, he did it he's against the pop. guy who has a questionable chin. Yeah, it, it's true. But he did it against the guy who's got a questionable chin who's been knocked out once or twice. This is not Evlo, man. Evlo yeah. relentless heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. For a guy that, you know, for a guy that generally dominates... Um, he's shown that he can fight through some tough moments and stay focused and get back to his game. Um, yeah, look, this is not a fantastic card, but there are a couple of things to definitely look forward to, in my opinion. Uh, and Nick, on the way out, is it uh, the UFC, is it um, Projaska versus Glover next, Nick? Oh, let me check. Let me look at that for you. I believe that happens to be next weekend, Nick, which which is definitely something to look forward to. It's a pay-per-view card, right? We're not seeing... Uh, a lot of these fight night cards were not very stacked. Let me see. Yep, that is, in fact, what is happening on Saturday, June the 11th. we got Valentina Shevchenko, Talia Santos, Weili Zhang, Joanna Jan Jacek. I hate. Wait, three, five minutes? Yeah. yeah I hate they, that this is a three-round oh, fight. Oh, man. Why? Why did they not make I that know. a five-round fight? I don't know, man. But Joanna, by the way, got a new contract. She's getting paid, hopefully, uh, what she, closer to what she thinks she deserves, which I always like hearing. She's somebody that really did help put the division on the map, and she deserves it. Uh, Rogero Bontarim versus Manel Camp is a fantastic top contender fight at flyweight. We got Jack Della Madalena versus Ramazan Amiyev, a really exciting versus a really boring fighter. Who will win out? Holding on really tight, Nick, or damage? We're going to find out once again. Um, let me see, anything? Brendan Allen huh, versus Brendan Jacob Malcolm. I'm intrigued an, by that matchup. Yeah, that's an interesting fight. Um, yep. What else do we have? And that's about Sung Woo Choi versus Joshua Kulabau is going to be exciting. Um, oh, it's in Singapore. Okay, versus, this is in Singapore. I'm trying to figure out why there's there's a lot of Korean fighters on this card. Yeah, no, uh, and Chinese, Korean, and Jake, Chinese fighters. Yeah. Yes, sir. And then uh, Jake Matthews versus Andre Fialho as of right Wait, now the first what? fight. On the, that's a fantastic card fight. That's great, man. Wait a minute, Andre Fialho is fighting again. Yeah, he wants to be active, man. He like asked the UFC. After yeah, but his this last is fight after but this his, is some Neil. Mm-hmm. This is some Neil Magny shit. This is four fights in the calendar. Yeah. Like and he did his first one. He fought Pereira at the end of January. So let's so, say yeah, so. So look at it this way: he fought in January. He's fighting he every fought month. In April, he fought in May. He fought in June, uh, and he's fighting in June. So, dude, good on him. If he's making that money, like the only way to make decent money from the UFC, making ten and ten or, or fifteen and fifteen, is to fight you know once a month, Nick. So I just he, don't know. He can be the first. I yeah. don't know that I've ever. I don't know that a UFC fighter has ever has ever taken four fights in six months. I'm I think sure. you might be right. There, there, there's a fair chance. There's a fair chance that he's gonna 
that he's going to either come close to or break a record. And if not this one, if he can walk away with a win here over Jake Matthews, then he can do it in his next one, right? He can presumably a fight t- a, the, the a, tough, a tough fight. I mean, Miguel Baez and Michelle Pereira are no, we're no walk in the park. Um, and I'd love to see him against Pereira on a full training camp for him. Um, and you know what, Nick? Jake Matthews, as of right now, is the underdog. I, I'd say that's worth uh, that's worth some investment based on what we've seen from these. Fans. I mean, I think I think he is. I, I would. I think Jake Matthews is the underdog, but um, you think he yeah. should be, huh? Yeah, I, I do. But um, I'm still not a believer in Fialho, and we got to consider he was getting kind of pieced up in that last fight against a really low level opponent before he scored a knockout. He was. I, like, if he didn't I've got to go, left, I've gotta yeah, go back. I've got to go back and rewatch that. You gotta watch that fight. It was like, considering he was like a huge favorite, it looked like a pick'em until the knockout happened. Interesting. Just throwing it out there. I wonder if he Against, was just, again, if he was headhunting. Low level. Uh, I mean, that's what he does. The man headhunts. That's how he fights. I, I I don't think he's known for his body shots. I don't think he is. He's he's more again. He's like I'm still not a huge believer in him. And there are these guys who. Are, have struggled outside of the UFC and the PFL and that kind of thing, who come to the UFC and really have some success, man. It's like that experience has primed them for this situation. Fialho might just be that guy. He trains with a high-level team in Sanford MMA, right? So he's got a lot of those right. pieces in place to be a successful fighter. It's, yeah, uh, he's yeah. got a lot of power in his hands. He's a pressure fighter, right? His conditioning is probably his biggest it's kinda kind like, of drawback that I've seen. Yeah, it's kind of like how doing this podcast with you has primed me to do like a better podcast with a, a better, more handsome co-host. Later. You know what, Nick, Nick I'm, I'm glad that you've realized that I've leveled you up. You are welcome, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but that will do it for this episode. I'm looking forward to connecting next week, Nikolai. Hopefully you can inch your way back and slowly catch up on those points. But again, the more important thing is the breakdowns, man. We have fun on yeah, this Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I like, I like, but I was doing well for so long. And the fact that, I, that I, a, a, a larger gap happened almost entirely based on split decision losses. Um, you know, it irks me a little bit, but you, you are always, you are generally speaking more prepared and better at this than I am. So I just have to accept that. Woo. Look at you, Nikolai. Two compliments in a row. But I was, I was, I was holding my own for a while. Like, so we'll, I mean, we'll see me. I feel pretty good about my picks on this card, but yeah, I don't suspect that it'll be like a big, you know, like I'm going to catch up, catch a lot of ground, uh, well, I, I think like two two to three points per event will quickly get you there. That's what's been happening over the last few events for me is like the, the reason the gap is widened is just like one point here, three points there, two points no, there. Were two, I had two really bad cards. Um, yeah. So, um, but man, Weili, how, God damn it. How is Weili Zhang, Joanna Jean Jacobs not like I know, a, man. a main, like. Do you oh. think we could start a petition? Do you think like we have a week to I mean, change I, I this think, whole situation? I think, I think everybody, I think everybody was trying. I mean, just. Like their yeah, their previous fight was a title fight, so that was a five rounder. Yeah, I just gotta wonder. Yeah, who and did, it was an absolute who did, war. Who does the shorter, who does the shorter amount of time favor? I mean, to be honest, it's tricky because Joanna, if it wasn't for her head continuing to balloon up, she probably would have won that very, very, very close decision. But Joanna hasn't really competed that much since then. Whereas Weili Zhang has has picked up a lot of experience and arguably beat Rose in her last fight. Rose, who clearly beat Yan Jacek a couple times. So, you know, the fact that uh, Wei Li Zhang has had time to actually improve in the meantime, that is part of the interesting thing. Yeah, it's been two years. It's been over two years, and Joanna has not fought since the last Wei Li Zhang fight. Wei Li Zhang, I I think at least part of it is. Had mm -hmm. two fights against against Rose. 
Uh, two um, fights against the best in the world, and or you know now the second best, but but did you know did really well in that matchup, and a lot of people think she deserved it based on her control. Uh, you know, it's the people who value control over over damage, but still a lot of people think that she earned it, and, and she did some damage too. Don't get me wrong. Um, Joanna's so really, Joanna's I mean, going to be. I think Joanna's faster. She just has to not be. She has to not be there for the counter, and her sprawl has to be as good as it all as it always has been, or better. Like yeah, you're right because I, I that's a very good point. I think that takedowns are going to be a new avenue that Whaley is going to introduce into this. I'm not sure that she had a whole lot of takedown attempts in their last matchup. She did. She really didn't, but she's probably had some good she confidence did. around them following the second Rose fight. Yeah, and let's keep in mind that she's been uh, as much as Joanna is with arguably the best team in MMA and American Top Team. Uh, Weili Zhang has been training with Fight Ready, or at least on and off, right? Which it should do something for her preparation, for the tactics that she uses, for the strategy that she brings into this fight. So let's see. It looks like Zhang Weili got one takedown in their last matchup. And on how many attempts? Uh, one out of eight. So she actually did go for takedowns. She just couldn't get them. I'd imagine she's better at them now than she was when they fought a couple years ago. It should be interesting, man. There, there's I'll definitely on, a couple things to look forward to. I'll go on record saying that I'm not sure... I'm not sure that the UFC has seen, and I'm using my language very specifically here. I'm not sure that the UFC is, has had a better fighter than Joanna Janjakic. Like she's like someone who just shows up to fight, and and like she's been. I just think that because she's been gone for two years, we forget like how good she is, how um, how exciting she is. How even the fights that she lost, you know, could be made an argument made that she won the second Rose fight. Um, yeah, it was more competitive for sure. And she's just, I, there's just something, there's just something about the way that she can, about the way that she approaches the sport and how she conducts herself that makes her, for me, like just absolute must see television in a way that not a lot of other fighters, including, you know, one that defeated her, Valentina Shevchenko, can't really claim. You give me the choice. There's a there's a there's a Joanna Janjaka fight on one channel. There's a Valentina Shevchenko fight on the other. I'm watching I'm I'm watching Joanna champion. Well, sure, but the same goes for like GSP and Taitu Ivasa. One guy is pound for pound, maybe the greatest of all time. Uh, the other I would, guy is not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't you say know, the I excitement factor. I wouldn't say that. I, I, I nope, wouldn't hear that. Valentina Shevchenko she, being pound for pound the best woman on the planet right now. GSP was, and both kind of boring. They would nullify their opponents. I think, I think, they had I, the ability I, I, I to dominate. GSP was way more. I thought GSP was more was more exciting than than uh, than Valentina. I don't know, this, dude. But. I don't know about that, dude. GSP got decision after decision after decision, and they were all just him in top position. Throwing some ground and pound, but doing the same three or four combos from top position again and again. His double legs were fine, but. You know, the guy had the skill to, like, fuck people up any way he wanted, but he chose to take the safer route. Same thing with Valentina. Yeah, but Valentina finishes s- more than GSP did. Valentina runs through some bitches. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't say Tai Tivasa. I would say, I would say like, GSP or um, Nick Diaz. Oh, no, no. I was trying to give you a more extreme example, and you're right. That's a good example, too. I was trying to give you a more extreme example of, like, just because somebody's more exciting – doesn't mean yeah, that they, yeah. It's just like I tie- although Joanna Joanna's still one of the greatest at one fifteen. Certainly, certainly the second best at one fifteen. You know, as far as like where the division stands right now in its history in the UFC, right? Um, possibly the possibly the best at one fifteen as far as overall accomplishments given Rose's recent troubles. So yeah, look, I, I, I'm intrigued by it. I also think like if Joanna wins this fight, she can go right into a fight against uh, Carlos Parza. And we saw they how and we, and we saw how that went last night. 
And we saw how that went last time after Esparza won the title from Rose, right? So the dynamics are so sim similar, but they're all like several years past that. By the way, just real quick, I saw a clip uh, from, as I was doing research, from um, the Instagram of Felice Herrig, how Herrig put the title around Esparza's waist as Esparza was walking down the aisle to get married. Definitely not a thing that I would ever even consider doing, but man, like for some people, this really is everything. Like it's basically like putting Dana White on your lapel at your wedding to me. Like, oh, I don't, I don't look at it like that at all. I look at no, that's fair. I think you're right. Yeah, Carla Esparza seems like a really good person. She got, she had the title, and she got destroyed. Like Joanna beat her savagely, and over however many years it was, five years. Four years. Rose, she worked her way up. I mean, Carla, she she did everything. She worked her way up. Her fitness was a million bucks. She beat really tough women. She was in tough positions. Like, as far, I mean, just good good for her. That actually made you know. It, it's not about the, it's not about the UFC. It's about what You're right. what she. It's achieved. about her accomplishments. It's about yeah. her and like what what she her her resilience in coming back. Um, yeah. I wonder how it made her, um, like, fiance slash husband feel as, as like, the badass was walking down the aisle toward him. She's got a UFC title around her waist, and he's you know an accountant or. or something. I mean, probably very proud. But um... oh, so, so, certainly, so, certainly proud. But man, like, like, like the just the level of accomplishment that that she's pulled off at this point in her life, right? Like being the arguably the best in the world at at one thing. Like for anybody yeah. to accomplish that is incredible. Um, and she's walking down the aisle with a reminder of the fact that she's the best in the world at one thing toward her uh, husband, who is not a fighter at all. And she could whoop his ass if she wanted to. I'm, I'm into it, Nick. Yeah. No, that's, that's, how I, that's how I feel when I have my, my, have my title for being the best in the world at watching VR porn. Anyway, um, I will. <laughs> Were you officially awarded? I, I still feel like, there's, I feel, I feel like there's some kids out there who are a little better than you at it. Yeah, you know, we can. That's going to come back to the damage over control conversation that we started with, and I don't want to have that right now on this topic. <laughs> Fair enough. That's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bud, that'll do it. I'm out of here. <laughs> have a great rest of your week. <laughs> you too. Bye.